0: The United Kingdom is known for many things. Its understated natural beauty, its red telephone boxes, its many successful musical exports like The Beatles and One Direction. However, it's also home to many of the world's eeriest unsolved murders, including a wide range of cold cases that have long since faded from the public's memories. Unsolved Murders from the United Kingdom this week are mysteriously listed. Number 5. Sandy Drummond. 33 year old Sandy Drummond was known as a recluse who lived in a cottage in rural St Andrews, Fife, with his brother. In the days prior to his death, Sandy withdrew large amounts of money from his bank accounts. He also resigned from his job as a labourer at the Guardbridge Paper Mill. On June 24th, 1991, Sandy was seen running from his home to a field, which was opposite his house. He was carrying a large blue sports bag. Now, this bag has never been found. What has also never been discovered is the reason why Sandy was running from his home, or what could have been in the bag – as nothing was later found to be missing from his house. What we do know, though, later that day, Sandy was found strangled on a road leading to his home. Later that day, Sandy would be found strangled on the road leading to his home. One witness would come forward to state at 2.30pm, a man was seen boarding a bus near Sandy's cottage. The reason this stood out to the witness was because this man's hand was not only heavily bandaged, but the witness could see blood seeping through. Another witness would later report seeing an orange Morris Marina parked outside Sandy's cottage, numerous times in the lead-up to his death. The police did do a public appeal for the owner of this car to come forward, but they never did and the police were never able to identify this car or its owner. Now, given Sandy had withdrew all his money from his account, police initially thought that robbery was the most likely motive. However, this was quickly discounted, as the money was all accounted for in the home. So the theory went that maybe the would-be robber, may have thought Sandy had his money in the blue sports bag as he left the house with it. But with no solid leads, unfortunately the case went cold. 2001, ten years after Sandy's death, the case was reopened. Further forensic examinations were conducted and it was concluded it was possible Sandy may have died from some kind of jiu-jitsu stronghold. The theory for this being the method used to kill Sandy was due to there being no ligature marks on Sandy's neck and no external marks to suggest pressure from hands or fingers. In 2016, the lead investigator stated that the key suspect in the case was also dead, but that the case was being kept open in case the police could trace any accomplices. Number four, Melanie Hall. Melanie Hall was born August 20th, 1970, to parents Pat and Stephen Hall. Her parents would later report they were nothing but always proud of their vibrant daughter. In 1995, Melanie would graduate from the University of Bath and eventually went to work as a clerical officer at the Royal United Hospital in Bath. On June 9, 1996, 25-year-old Melanie had arranged to stay with her boyfriend, Philip. The two went to Cadillac's nightclub in the centre of Bath with another couple. At some point during the night, Melanie and Philip got into an argument after Melanie was seen dancing with another man. As a result of this argument, Philip left the nightclub with Melanie last seen sitting alone in the club just after 1am. When Melanie didn't show for work the next day, her parents would report her missing to police. Police investigations began to appeal to the public for anyone who may have had any information relating to Melanie's whereabouts to come forward. Philip would also make appeals on the local news. Police would interview thousands of clubbers and taxi drivers that were in the area that night and when no information surfaced, a reward of £10,000 was offered, but sadly this also turned up nothing. With no other options and no information as to where Melanie could have gone, the police decided to conduct several searches of the River Avon. This search too would turn up nothing. With little evidence proving otherwise, on November 17, 2004, Patton Stephen Hall made the difficult decision to declare their daughter officially dead. October 5th, 2009. A motorway worker found a plastic bag dumped at the slip road at Junction 14 on the M3 motorway. This worker's job was to clean a vegetation patch, and he had stopped to inspect the bag when he saw it. Inside, he found a skull, pelvis and thigh bone he immediately reported his findings to the police. The area was cordoned off while the police searched for other body parts, which could have been located close by. They found numerous other bones buried and spread around the field, located at the side of the motorway. They also found a piece of jewellery that Melanie's parents later identified as belonging to their daughter. October seventh, two 2009... Through dental records, the body parts were identified as Melanie Hall. The medical examiner determined that the cause of death was due to severe blunt force trauma to her head, resulting in a fractured skull, cheekbone and jaw. She had also been tied up with blue rope. With Melanie's body now found, the police launched a fresh appeal for anyone with any information to come forward, and a task force was formed – Operation Denmark. On October 29, 2009, the police announced they had found three keys to a Ford vehicle close to Melanie's body, but they did not know whose car they belonged to. Because of this renewed interest, over 200 new tips were received from the public. The reward money was also increased to £20,000. 2003, police arrested two men in connection with Melanie's murder, but they would later be released without charge. 2009, a 37-year-old man whose identity has never been released to the public, this man confessed to Melanie's murder, but he was soon eliminated after undergoing psychiatric tests. October 2013, the police informed the media they had found a white Volkswagen Golf car that was connected to the unsolved murder case, and that they received relevant information about the rope used to tie up Melanie. To date, 11 people have been arrested during the police investigation, but unfortunately no one has been charged. Number three, Doris Kellett. January 17, 1992, Clekeeton, Halifax. Ninety-two-year-old Doris Kellett spent her morning chatting with close friends and engaging in exercise classes for the elderly at the Day Centre Luncheon Club. Here she would enjoy a three-course meal and listen to a lecture on current affairs – She would then be dropped off at her home late afternoon by a volunteer driver. Doris was last seen talking to two men on her doorstep on Wesley Street. Only hours later, she would be found dead in her home, beaten to death by person or persons unknown. Witnesses would later report to police they thought nothing of Doris talking to the two men. One of the men were holding a clipboard and pen, so it was easy to assume these were door-to-door salespeople who thought Doris was an easy target for their sales schemes due to her elderly age. Police believe this was a different kind of scheme though, a scheme to gain Doris's trust, to gain entry into her home to rob her. Around 45 minutes after the neighbour noticed these two men, They became suspicious as the men had seemingly vanished without knocking on anyone else's door. At 6.45pm, Doris was found dead by her home carer. She had been hit on the head with a blunt instrument and had died from a fractured skull and head injuries. Doris only lived 20 yards from the police station, so police were quick to arrive on the scene – and even the most seasoned of investigator was shocked at the brutality of the attack. Doris was found lying in a pool of her own blood, with blood splattered on the walls and the furniture. A search of the house found that Doris's pension, jewellery and an amber paperweight were all missing. Police spoke to all the witnesses, family and friends, to gather information on who could have committed such a horrific crime. Officers explored a number of theories surrounding the murder, but after a few days of excessive searching, the police admitted they were baffled by who and why this murder was committed. No one else reported seeing or hearing the two men knocking on other people's doors on the day in question. With no other leads, police decided to reconstruct the death of Doris on the British TV show Crime Watch and although numerous leads were received from this episode, none resulted in any significant breakthrough in the case. 2016. It was reported that Doris's case was involved with 55 other unsolved cases, being reviewed by the West Yorkshire Police, after they received funding for more police staff to crack cold cases. To the time of this recording, though... The murder of Doris Kellett has still not been solved. Number 2, Brian Hardwick. 50-year-old Brian Hardwick was last seen alive at 5:30 p.m. on November 21st, 2001. Police concluded that on the night of Brian's murder, he had been out doing some work for a friend who owned racing cars. Brian called his wife and told her he would be leaving at around 10.30 and heading straight home. His wife told him not to hurry, as she was going out with some friends. So when she arrived back home later that night and Brian was still not home, she wasn't too concerned and went to bed. But when she woke at around 12.30am to discover her husband was still not home, she tried calling him, but his phone kept ringing out. At 4.30am, Brian's wife managed to reach her husband's friend. The two would telephone the police and local hospitals, but no one had seen or heard anything about Brian. Unfortunately, Brian's body was discovered 8 o'clock the next morning at his workplace. Police believe he had died of natural causes while repairing a punctured tyre of his car. However, on closer inspection, the police found a head injury that was matted with blood and an autopsy was immediately requested. By that evening, Brian's death was reclassified as a murder. The medical examiner determined Brian had died of two gunshot wounds, one to his chest and one to the back of his head. The medical examiner's notes referred to the murder as resembling an execution. Police knew that Brian had been fixing his tyre at the time of his death, due to the dust cap still being in his hand. The police theorised that someone may have purposely slashed his tyres so that Brian would pull over at his workplace. They then waited until he was distracted by his task to appear behind him and then shoot him. Further investigation found that Brian's wallet had been stolen. Records then showed that just minutes after his murder, £350 had been withdrawn from his account at an ATM close to his workplace. Brian's wife later reported that her husband would keep a piece of paper in his wallet with his pin written on it, and this is how the murderer accessed his money so easily. After delving into Brian’s background, police could not find any enemies or anyone who would want to harm the friendly car mechanic. Quote, All our inquiries so far show that Mr Hardwick was a hard-working man who had no known enemies or wasn’t involved in activities that would make him a target. Yet he became one, and we still need to know why. Unquote. However, there were four individuals who were quickly identified as persons of interest. The first individual was a white man, aged between 35 and 45, with a short, dark hairstyle. This man was also reported as being very well-dressed. It was reported that the man had approached Brian at his place of work, about an electrical fault, but had then sworn at Brian and stormed off. The second man was described as being around 25 years old and was about 5 foot 6. He was said to have been staring at the garage at about 10.30am from the other side of the road on the day of Brian's murder. The third man was seen just after 4pm on that same day and was described as being of African or Caribbean descent, an age between 20 and 25 years old. He was also seen crouching near a window at the garage in the days before the murder. The fourth man the police were interested in finding out more about was seen about 20 minutes before Brian discovered the punctured tyre. He was described as Caucasian, between 20 and 30 years old, and of stocky build. He was seen by a witness climbing into a car behind a bar close to the garage. The car was later described as being a sporty old mini car with wide wheels. The police arrested three men in connection with the murder, but they were soon all released without charge. Brian's case grew cold, but his wife hopes that his case will be opened again soon. She believes that her husband's killer or killers knew the area well – and she has always maintained that Brian knew the person or persons who killed him. She believes that potentially they were a customer of the garage Brian worked at. Number 1. Penny Bell In April 1981, Penny Bell married real estate agent Alastair Bell and the pair moved into a family home in Bakerswood, Buckinghamshire. Penny had a son from a previous marriage who moved in with a couple. The family were happy and successful. Penny became a partner at Clover Staff Limited, a catering employment agency, and Alistair was doing well in his real estate job. They enjoyed buying new things to reward themselves for all their hard work, In November 1990, the couple decided to add renovations to their family home, costing upwards of £100,000. To pay the builders for their work, on June 3rd 1991, Penny withdrew £8,500 from their joint bank account. June 6th 1991, Alistair left the house at his usual time of 8.30am to go to work. He recalled that Penny was her usual happy self that morning, but he would also later remember how Penny did not wave him off when he was leaving as she normally would. He believed this was simply because the builders had already arrived for the day and Penny was distracted. About an hour later, Penny told the builders she was running late for an appointment and had to leave but she would return. They too would later report Penny seemed happy and relaxed. She left her home in her blue Jaguar, XJS. Around 20 minutes later, witnesses would later report seeing a blue Jaguar driving along Greenford Road at about 10 miles per hour, with its hazard lights flashing. The next time this vehicle is seen is at 12.15, when police were alerted that a woman's body had been found motionless in the driver's seat of a Jaguar, in the Garnell Leisure Centre car park. Penny had been stabbed 50 times in the chest and arms with a 3 to 4 inch blade. Her time of death was recorded at being around 10:30 a.m., almost 2 hours before her body was found. Immediately the investigation began into who killed Penny at the time of her murder. The car park had been crowded, yet Penny parked in front of a high hedge, so the view from the front was blocked. This meant that no one would have been likely to see into Penny's car, and therefore no one would have witnessed the murder. Further investigation led police to search Penny's diary, but no appointment could be found scheduled for that day. This baffled the police, as they could not highlight who Penny was apparently meeting 40 minutes before her death. The police theorised that possibly Penny could have been having an affair. The police did highlight that Penny was happily married and a successful businesswoman. They did discover that Alistair had previously been in an 11-year-long homosexual relationship. But he had not hidden this from anyone, and Penny was more than aware of the relationship. This revelation caused the public to believe that Penny had been killed by one of Alistair's former lovers. However, the police do not believe this theory, and instead highlighted that Penny probably knew her killer, but they could not find any reason as to why anyone would want to kill her. No one has ever been charged with Penny's murder, and to the time of this recording, over 4,000 people have been questioned. Alastair Hall believes that the glaring gaps in the police investigation are to be blamed for the lack of progress made into finding the murderer of his wife. Do you have something you would like to see mysteriously listed? Do you have a particular theme that interests you? message us on Facebook at Mysteriously Listed and on Twitter at Mysterious List. If you like what you've heard today, we would love for you to share this episode on your social media of choice. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate it if you could leave a positive review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Research, additional writing and hosting is by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu.